0: Coronavirus New Zealand, a daily stuff podcast.
1: Welcome to Coronavirus NZ for Tuesday, March the 24th. I'm Adam Dudding. And I'm Eugene Bingham. We're journalists with stuff and this is episode two of Coronavirus NZ, a podcast where we'll bring you the top stories of the day, usually with the New Zealand focus, but we also want to slow things down a bit and take a closer look at one particular aspect of this global pandemic.
0: We recorded yesterday's episode together in one room at Adam's place, observing from a nice, safe two metre distance, but things are changing fast. From today on, we're working from separate bedrooms in suburbs 30 kilometres apart.
1: And like everyone else who's diving into homeworking, we're experimenting with FaceTime and WhatsApp and Zoom and Google Hangouts and iMessage and Messenger, and there's a fair amount of swearing and messing up, though we cut that out in the edit, but things may still be a bit rough and ready, so bear with us.
0: Yeah, there have been some pretty novel challenges. My son popped out to collect some supplies we needed, including a connection, who's in a it, that I needed to make this home studio work. And at the local shops, there were people taking temperatures of shoppers at the doors. Strange times
1: indeed. Later, we, the, we have an interview that we did with science reporter Eloise Gibson earlier today. Uh, we wanted her to help us understand the flow of scientific information from scientists to the top of the beehive. Uh, who's got the ear of the Prime Minister as she makes these huge decisions about how we're all going to live in the coming months. But first, what's happened today? So Ashley Bloomfield
0: announced today 155 cases, including 40 confirmed cases and three probable cases in the past 24 hours. Four cases are being treated as community transmission, i.e. there's no link to overseas travel. Finance Minister Grant Robertson says there will be a six-month mortgage holiday scheme for people affected by coronavirus. There's details to follow. And he asked people not to bombard their banks until everything is finalised. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern says work is also going on to figure out how to deal with New Zealanders returning from overseas who remain a major risk in terms of carrying the virus. Health reporter Hannah Martin has been keeping up with developments. Hannah, there's been a change in the way cases are counted today. Can you explain that?
2: Uh, yes, yeah, that's right. So from today, health authorities will be recording and reporting probable cases as part of its overall uh, official total. And um, so these are cases where a lab test has come back negative for coronavirus, uh, but the person's GP or or other clinician has diagnosed them as a probable case due to their exposure history or symptoms. Um, so today, the Director General announced 40 new confirmed cases and three new probable cases, uh, bringing the the total overall to 155.
0: Right, so effectively 43 new cases today, including that new definition of of probable.
2: Yeah, essentially yes. Uh, He did mention as well that for the most part, recent travel is still the main driver. Um, However, four cases were being treated as community transmission. So that's two more than yesterday. Uh, Of those, we have three in Auckland, and one in the wider
0: Right, okay. There's another new number he announced today, uh, a category of recovered. W- what does that mean?
2: Yeah, so, so as well as the new confirmed total, uh, every day we will be updated on how many people have officially recovered from the illness. Uh, so today that stands at 12. Um, now, looking at uh, those who have recovered is a really good measure, and particularly to give some perspective to the scale of the illness and how things are tracking. So for example, worldwide there have been uh, 370-odd thousand cases, and according to tracking from Johns Hopkins University, more than 100,000 people have fully recovered to date.
0: So we know about recovered, but what about people who are in hospital?
2: Uh, yes. so as of today, we've got six people in hospital across New Zealand. Uh, All of these people are stable uh, and none to date have required any input from intensive care, which again is is another really positive thing to know.
0: Ashley Bloomfield also talked about people who are infected and their family members needing to observe strict isolation. What does that mean? And aren't we all about to go into strict isolation?
2: Mm, uh, So... There's a yes and no answer to that. So as of uh, just before midnight on Wednesday, we will all go into self-isolation. And during this lockdown period, you and I will still be allowed to go to the supermarket, uh, to the chemist, you know, we can go for walks, we can get out and exercise, get some fresh air. Those people who have tested positive for coronavirus or who are waiting for their test results should not and cannot be doing this. Uh, This is how we are going to effectively stamp out this illness. So these people really do need to be inside for at least 14 days or however long they've been recommended by their clinician.
0: Right, so don't cross the door, don't don't leave mm. the place. So Hannah, whereabouts are you now?
2: Uh, yeah, so I am uh, one of the few people in the Staff Auckland office in Ponsonby at the moment.
0: And that must be a bit weird because it's usually a bustling, busy place.
2: Yeah, yeah, very strange indeed. We uh, were supposed to have someone in here early this morning on the 6 a.m. till 2 p.m. shift, and when I showed up a couple of hours after that, there was there was no one. It was empty, and it's uh, it's pretty surreal to be honest. It it doesn't feel like a newsroom.
1: I mean, literally, how um, many people are in the, are there in the entire building?
2: Currently, I'd say gosh, maybe five.
1: Wow. As <laughs> yeah. compared to what's like, more like 100 or 150 or something. Yeah, like usually i say
0: so. Mm. Mm. And can you get coffee and things downstairs? I mean, you know, the essentials of life?
2: Uh, I, to be honest, haven't left. I haven't had a look. Um, I suspect that a couple of places have shut up shop already today. Um, I did pop down to Countdown first thing because I forgot a banana for my porridge uh, and that was fine. You know, that was all good. There weren't um, big hordes of people which... Hopefully bodes well, you know, I I hope that people are hearing the message to just continue shopping normally. Food will be there, we'll be okay.
0: Nobody's panicked buying bananas, that's good to hear. Thank you very much, Hannah, and uh, no doubt we'll get you back on the show.
2: Cool, thanks guys, stay safe.
1: New Zealand, one day left to go, people. Level 4 kicks in just before midnight on Wednesday, which is a little over a day when we actually put this thing online. Um, Apart from essential services. But the thing is, I mean, this is huge. It it feels enormous to have our lives, everyone's lives disrupted so enormously. But it's not just us. Um, I just saw a figure, more than one billion people around the world are now in some sort of shutdown, lockdown, isolation, self-isolation. Yeah, you know, and it, dip- it's kind of a case of together alone, really, isn't it? Because...
0: It is global. And remember it started in, in China, but now it's spread so, so far. Um, one sixth of the cases globally are in New York State and it's feared that that New York State is about to become the new global hotspot.
1: It's like some sort of horrible game of um, mm. pass the parcel, you know, it goes from China's your hotspot and then Italy's Italy. your hotspot. Mm. And now now New York's looking like it could be. Yeah. Could be the one. Yeah. Hey, how's your lockdown prep going, Adam? Well, weirdly busy actually even though there's sort of we're preparing to do I guess in the build-up to doing nothing of course sitting at home and making a podcast you see isn't exactly nothing but um, we've sort of been rushing around there are four of us in the house now Um, my son's come back from university halls because he didn't fancy a month locked there on his own and so not worried about food not worried about petrol we're not buying guns or queuing around the block, as some apparently have been. Um, but there's still a sort of stuff that we want that doesn't feel like it's going to be sold by an essential service. Things like my wife's been looking for a monitor for a colleague who wasn't able to get the work on home. Um, I just uh, gave approval to my daughter to get some headphones from Noel Leeming because... Of course, I wanted to be listening to music, but not so loud that it comes through the wall and interrupts this podcast. So she needs some decent headphones, and then she needs new headphones. So the other child needs new headphones. You know how it works. And uh, I it's need like a, a contagion. Uh, it is a contagion. There are so many contagion metaphors in our lives now. Uh, and I needed a widget from from Noel Leeming to make my iPhone work for these conversations without going flat because it doesn't have a socket. You know, bloody Apple. Anyway, it's 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 been pretty. I'm not spending terribly much, not going terribly crazy. Certainly there's no panic going on. Um, people are buying all sorts of things, though. I just A friend of a friend just, just let us know they're off to buy a boat today. I'm not sure why you need a boat in a in, well, during a plague. Here, here you go. Here's why. Because I had a neighbour
0: flag me down on the way home last night to ask if he could borrow a dinghy to go fishing for his family. So oh, that's nice. why you might need a boat. Of course. Yeah. And while we were talking, another neighbour stopped uh, to, you know, we were all at a distance, of course, safely. To say that he'd bought a table tennis for his family, table tennis table for his family, and that uh, we were all welcome to come over and have a community tournament. Mm, uh, Yeah, it kind of doesn't work, does it? So, you know, of course we're not allowed. Uh, How would it work? He plays one shot, leaves the room, next player comes in, plays a shot.
1: No, there's not going to be a neighborhood table tennis competition, don't worry. Because there's so many things changed all at once, like the way you eat, the way you move around, where you get your stuff, the way you have fun, um, you keep forgetting that everything has this knock-on effect. So yeah. I, I can relate to that idea of thinking, oh, great idea, we'll, um, we'll just have dinner party. Oh, no, can't
0: do Yeah, it. that's right.
1: That's right. And because you do feel uh, connected to everyone, don't you? But you can't be.
0: So mm. yeah. the other thing that's been going on today is the apparent vagaries of what's open and what's closed. Spare thought for us West Aucklanders, we can't buy booze in supermarkets because liquor licences are controlled by local trust. So, you know, are booze shops an essential service? The answer apparently is yes. Probably
1: right, so you you are going to be able to buy booze just as easily as I am well, in my people, as in my supermarket. Yeah, well, people
0: in West Auckland who want to buy booze. Uh, from Thursday, customers will be able to phone or email the local shops that sell liquor out west and uh, order, and then before they go into the shop they have to show their identification and pick up the goods outside. I guess it's like a, I don't know, from a safe distance, but um, there you go. It's funny what becomes an essential service and what isn't.
1: Well, that's the legal drugs taken care of. I have absolutely no insight into this, but well, I'm just Well, are tiny houses
0: an essential service? Well, exactly. Are there even houses anymore?
1: <laughs> Sorry, show my age maybe, but... <laughs> I'm pretty sure, yes, there are tiny houses, and I think there are a number of people who would consider them essential. So uh, that's an interesting one. I imagine there's some stocking, stockpiling of that stockpiling. nature going on mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Right on to famous people infection news. Placido Domingo has coronavirus, and German Chancellor Angela Merkel doesn't. There you go. Sticking with music. So this is day two of the Coronavirus NZ podcast. Um, We are having certain issues getting the damn thing up onto iTunes. There's a pipeline, and because we only thought of doing this on Thursday, um, the pipeline is still not out the other side. I Um, I guess iTunes has got people home as well. Yeah, Maybe. yeah, I imagine. You so know. it's a little bit like uh, lots of Facebook posts were getting blocked because the AI yeah. was doing all the all the screening. So all yeah. kinds of perfectly legitimate stuff was being treated as spam that's right. and, and the hate spin-off speech was
0: being blocked and so on, weren't they? Yeah. Oh, that's
1: fair enough. But um, <gasps> but anyway, although our listenership is is not yet reached the heady heights it might once we are on iTunes, um, I did have a little bit of listener feedback after our first episode. I will confess it was from someone who is closely related to me and to whom I sent a direct link. But anyway, it was and, very it useful. It may have been featured in the podcast yesterday. A, a, and may have been, It may anyway, have been my sister. Anyway, anyway, anyway. It's feedback, it counts. The point is, my sister was quite taken with our discussion of the soundtrack of The Plague. And um, obviously, you don't stand... Too close, don't stand so close to me. And she sent me a screenshot from a chat uh, from the members of our choir because my sister and I are in a choir and we sing pop songs a cappella. And although not at the moment, not at the moment. We cancelled a week and a half, two weeks ago. So we're, we were, you know, slightly ahead of the curve. Anyway, this is pretty much the, um, the pandemic playlist, March 2020. Obviously, starting with Can't Touch This by MC Hammer. Here's one I hadn't thought of. Can't feel my face by the weekend. Um, The police don't stand so close to me. That's logical enough. And it goes, it's quite a long list. There's quite a few, but what's rather nice about it is that uh, whoever's whoever's made this playlist has thought it through carefully and thought about the progress of, of coronavirus. So you've got, I can't touch this, a little bit later, you've got... Rockin' Pneumonia and the Boogie Woogie Flu by Huey Piano-Smith. Not a famous song, I don't think. Um, and then St. James Infirmary by Louis Armstrong, more familiar. You Give Me Fever, Peggy Lee, Doctor Doctor from the Thompson Twins. But then, slightly more positively, Remedy from the Black Crows and The Cure by Lady Gaga. In fact, I think we could probably go for anything by The Cure. There's a lot of science around at the moment. There are virologists looking for a vaccine. There are epidemiologists figuring out the way this virus hops from person to person. Other scientists looking at things like how long COVID-19 can live on a door handle. And then all that information is being funneled along and poured into the ears of people like our Prime Minister. And she's using it to do really consequential things like shutting down the entire country. So obviously the quality of that information and the quality of the filters along the way really matter. So someone who understands all this stuff is science reporter Eloise Gibson, who's actually just returned to stuff as our climate change editor. So Eloise, who's advising the Prime Minister on the science of this pandemic
3: Well, I mean, everyone on social media, right, everyone is a pandemic expert uh, this week. Um, But in terms of who she's actually listening to, there will have been a hellish couple of weeks for officials in the Department of Health and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Um, There'll be people reaching out through diplomatic channels to find out what other countries are doing. There'll be health officials scrambling to get the information that ministers and particularly the Prime Minister need. Um, And there's kind of this overarching scientific effort happening overseas. So from pretty early on, we've seen the United States CDC, the Centre for Disease Control and Prevention, giving generalised advice to pretty much the whole world about things like disinfecting your doorknobs and not going on cruise ships. And then we've got the World Health Organisation stepping in and calling for Western countries to be more serious about this and restrict people's movement. So there's all of that stuff kind of being channelled through, probably summarised and fed back to the Prime Minister. And then in New Zealand, uh, we're lucky to have a Prime Minister's Chief Science Advisor.
1: Yeah, well, how, how does that work? The, the we've got this science advisor. Is this someone who can just uh, tell Jacinda Ardern what to say and what to do? Is there any kind of constitutional requirement that they, you know, that the politicians do what they're told? Not at all. It's purely an
3: advisory role. So it's a bit of an unusual job Um, it's usually a scientist the two scientists that we've had so far have been uh, Sir Peter Gluckman and now Juliet Gerrard both of them have been University of Auckland researchers at the time when they landed this job and they've both stayed on as employees of the University of Auckland throughout their term. So essentially they stay employed by the University they keep an office there but they have this full-time secondment to the Prime Minister, and they kind of act as a sounding board, so I'm pretty sure that Jacinda Ardern and Juliette Gerard have had at least one confidential chat just to, to sound things out since this outbreak began, and they also talk to the public. So we've seen Juliet Gerard making an informational video uh, with the scientist Michelle Dickinson and Jacinda Ardern. We've seen her putting out kind of plain English advisories, talking to people on Instagram. Uh, but the government doesn't have to listen. This is purely an advisory job.
0: So is Juliet Gerrard, is she top of the tree, as it were, in terms of the hierarchy? And who is she? What's her background?
3: So she's a biochemist. Uh, Her specialty is in nanotechnology and kind of material science, they call it. So she's probably not someone who's spent a massive amount of time actively researching pandemics, but because she has extremely good links with other scientists and she is, as you say, the top of the tree, um, she's in the position to gather and interpret a whole bunch of scientific information um, and feed it back to the government and to the public. Um, So, yeah, her, her background is not in this specific area, but I guess she functions as a bit of a translator. And then, of course, underneath her, we've got departmental science advisors in each government department, uh, including the Health Ministry and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade. And they all meet together pretty regularly to talk about, you know, the New Zealand science ecosystem. Um, I'd, uh, Funnily enough, I'd imagine that in a crisis like this, all of these departmental science advisors would be in some kind of war room, you know, they'd have special sanitised air and their desks would be spaced really far apart. Special and snacks. Special snacks, that's right. Um, immune boosting snacks and antiviral, you know, nose plugs or something. But uh, it turns out they just talk on Twitter like the rest of us. So there was this quite cool graphic that came out on COVID-19 yesterday from a researcher in Canterbury Somebody tagged some other scientists and some journalists, including me, in on Twitter and said, hey, look at this interesting graph. They tagged in Juliet Gerrard. And the next minute, you see her tagging in the chief science advisor to the health ministry, Ian Town, so that he can see the graphic too. So I thought that was a very Kiwi way to uh, transmit scientific information.
1: So good science moves slow, long studies, peer reviews, esteemed publications, but right now we need really fast science. So within the scientific community, how do they arrive at the best conclusions and the right conclusions at a time like this, when perhaps there are corners to be cut?
3: So there's been an enormous amount of international collaboration, which has been heartening to see, I have to say, Um, you know, Chinese scientists, US scientists, whatever their politicians might be going out there and saying, the goodwill and collaboration between the scientific community, I think, has been great. I think the the kind of race to be the first um, with a particular drug or a particular vaccine for commercial reasons has largely been set aside uh, from what I can tell, and that's comforting. But as you say, good science is slow, and we've already seen... You know, some of the top health officials in the United States come out and counter some of what President Trump was saying about a vaccine. Um, He's wanting to give the impression that that's imminent for political reasons. And they've had to come out and say, look, any vaccine that's developed in under a year is probably not a safe vaccine. It's probably not going to be good. That is not how vaccine development works. Perhaps we'll get unbelievably lucky this time. But let's just manage our expectations here in terms of how quickly even the fastest scientific effort can work. So really, I think what science is telling us at the moment is, here's what we know about how viruses spread. We may not know everything about this particular virus, but a lot of what we know about viruses generally and infectious disease generally and human behaviour generally applies here. Uh, If you're not in contact, you can't spread it. Um, (laughs) We know that much. And so... I think this is where this interesting relationship between science and policy and actually getting people to behave a certain way comes in. Because of course the the government isn't just thinking about harm from the virus, it's thinking about harm to the economy, it's thinking about what's realistic, it's thinking about where the people who are at home have enough food if they make their announcements too quickly. And all of that um, is something that a a pandemic expert or an an expert on the way, uh, you know, viruses spread on door handles can't tell them.
0: So from a science point of view, who should we, the public, listen to?
3: Yeah, I've developed a rule of thumb for myself on this over the last week or so. And that is that anyone who you would have considered to be an authority on pandemics and public health a month ago is still a person you should listen to now. Anyone who was just generally kind of famous a month ago or who you used to hear a lot from in the media because they have a lot of reckons about a lot of topics, that person is also just as qualified to comment on pandemics as they were a month ago. And look, that doesn't mean blindly accepting that everything the government does is right or everything that every scientist says is right. We shouldn't be ignoring dissenting voices here, but I do think that we need to be a bit selective about whose voices we give weight to. So when someone like Otago University uh, public health professor Michael Baker is saying, hey, this virus is really serious, we perhaps need to ramp up our efforts a little bit, look, he's someone who we would have always listened to on something like this, He's someone whose specialty is very much in this field. Um, There are a number of other people in that category. Uh, There are also a number of people who, I guess you might say, are spreading panic by questioning the government response or who are encouraging people to be careless, saying, oh, it's just like when we all had chickenpox parties, let's just get it over with, it's not that bad, or, you know, let's gargle salt water, that'll probably protect you. Those people, um, you know... They're they're probably not people that it is in the public interest to be amplifying.
1: You're a self-confessed science nerd, Eloise, so be honest, how many times in the past week have you found, or weeks have you found yourself 5,000 pages deep in an obscure peer-reviewed article about DNA fragments from bats and pangolins and it's 11 o'clock and you're supposed to be asleep and so on?
3: It's really interesting that you ask that, Adam, because (laughs) (laughs) I am a total nerd and I have an unusually high tolerance, I think, for wading through scientific papers and review studies and, and getting deep into the, the corners of the scientific journals. But actually, when the tips are down, when I'm faced with a catastrophe like this, I turn into an ordinary news consumer. And I, as much as the next person, have been relying on people like Susie Wiles, like Juliet Gerrard, other journalists to actually translate all of this for me and tell me what it means. There was a graphic that the spin-offs Toby Morris did with Susie Wiles and it laid out all of these kind of flattened curve graphs that we've seen circulating on the internet in terms of, oh, look, here's the point where this person doesn't go to a barbecue and mm. at two mm. transmission phases down the line... This is what this means for the number of COVID cases you have in a country. And actually, that kind of basic stuff, I have been consuming as much as anybody at the expense of my normal nerdy scientific papers.
0: Well, that's good to know, Eloise, that you're finding ways to understand this and get up to speed like all of us. And who knows what the next few weeks will bring us. So thank you very much for joining us. And we look forward to having you back on the show soon.
1: Thank you, Adam and Eugene. That's the Coronavirus NZ podcast for Tuesday the 24th of March. I'm Adam Daring. he's Eugene Bingham, and thank you to Hannah Martin and Eloise Gibson and Alex Liu, Catherine George, Patrick Rootson and Carol Hirschfeld.
0: You can find us on Spotify, Google or listen directly on the Stuff website. Other podcast platforms are coming soon, we promise. All for R2.